Yes, another episode of Keo Conversations. I am your host, Mark Champagne, and it is my job to unpack the stories and mental fitness practices of people living at the top of their game personally and professionally. Today, I am chatting with legendary Cal Fussman. He's literally interviewed hundreds of the world's most influential individuals, people like Muhammad Ali, Serena Williams, Jeff Bezos, Kobe Bryant, Richard Branson, and the list goes on. Cal is just one of those people that you can't help but be at the very edge of your chair listening to every single word that comes out of his mouth. He's just such an exceptional storyteller, and he is one of the masters of powerful questions. So it's it's really a great honor to have him on the show and to share this conversation with all of you. Please enjoy. If you are enjoying these conversations, please do give us a little love wherever you're listening. The reviews, stars, they do go a long way. And lastly, this episode and the whole podcast is really brought to you by Keo, which is our daily mental fitness app. All of these incredible guests end up in app to help guide you through your mental fitness. Take it for a spin. It's in the Apple App Store. All you have to search is K-Y-O. Thank you, as always, and have the absolute best day yet. So, Cal, the, the, the first question is, who are you? And, you know, if I were to ask someone that, that knows you well, you know, what, what defines Cal? Curiosity. <laughs> Absolutely. Anything else to that, Cal? <laughs> the curiosity comes attached to questions, which lead to listening, which lead to storytelling. Hmm. And so there you have me in four words, curiosity, questions, listening, storytelling. And where, where did that curiosity start for you? Because it, it is, you know, having listened to, listened to you via the podcast and, and hearing you, you being interviewed as well quite a bit, it's, it's very obvious, right? You're, you've, you've kind of retained, I think we can all relate. We all come out and we're born curious. I mean, I, I think that's how we, we survive, right? You know, we're curious on how to walk and talk and all of this. And as, as life goes, um, it seems like it's kind of beaten out of us, right? Uh, I think you use the example, I've used this as well before, the, the hand starts going down more, um, more frequently in the classroom when asked uh, to answer questions and whatnot. But you seem to have really retained that curiosity. It, why don't you talk a little bit about that? There have been studies done that show we're most curious when we're about four years old. That's okay. when we're asking our mom about 400 or up to 400 questions a day. And what happens is the next year you turn five and you go off to school and you're no longer allowed to just blurt out any question you want. You're told if you want to ask a question, raise your hand. And something crazy happens 
when that line is crossed, the number of questions that the teacher asks as compared to what the student asks is just hugely in favor of the teacher. And the students just start losing their curiosity. And then, you know, we hit junior high school or middle school age and other stuff kicks in where we're embarrassed by things and we don't want to be mocked. And so we don't want to say anything, raise our hand and say anything that's going to get us into trouble. So we, we kind of shut down at that point. Many of us do. Mm-hmm. It's a process that just keeps continuing throughout life. You get your first job and you may not understand something and you have to make a choice. Should I ask a question about what I don't understand? Or is that going to reveal that I don't know what I'm talking about or what I'm doing? And a lot of people just remain silent. And that silence just keeps building and building and building. And our curiosity just keeps getting knocked down as, as we grow older. For me, I had an amazing event when I was seven. I had just turned seven the week before. It was November 1963. And it was a day that kind of shaped the rest of my life. I was in second grade, Miss Jaffe's class, and the Friday afternoon, Miss Jaffe left the room. And when she came back, she was a different person, wearing the same clothes, but looked incredibly pale. And she started talking in a voice that was so calm, it was almost scary. <laughs> And she told us that President Kennedy had been assassinated. Actually, I take that back. She told us, she told us that President Kennedy had been shot. And we all got sent home, ran to the television where it was Walter Cronkite, the CBS newscaster, who told the nation that President Kennedy had been assassinated. Now, you got to understand this was like the first time in my life that I was actually confronting death. And my parents certainly knew that. And so that night, they called me over to the kitchen table and they were just explaining to me that, Cal, this has happened before in our country's history. The country's got plans when this happens. That's why, as you now know, Lyndon B. Johnson, the vice president, has stepped up and become the new president. We just want you to know when you wake up tomorrow morning, you're going to have breakfast just like you always do. You'll go out to play just like you did last Saturday. And over time, things will get back to normal. Well, they were half right because things didn't get right back to normal in it anytime that quickly. Uh, I think the day later, the suspect in the case, Lee Harvey Oswald, was shot in a police station by a nightclub owner named Jack Ruby. So everybody was talking about that and wondering what that meant. 
And then the day after that was President Kennedy's funeral. And it was all the nation was talking about. But on that night when my parents were talking to me, it just got me to thinking. This guy, Lyndon B. Johnson, who is he? (laughs) Did he always want to be president? And after my parents left the table, I started wondering how it felt to be Lyndon B. Johnson. Was Was he happy to be president? Because if he always wanted to be president, maybe he was happy. But how could he be happy when the only reason he was president was that President Kennedy had been assassinated. Then I thought, well, maybe he's really sad to become president. And then I thought, maybe he's scared to become president because they might want to kill him too. So I'm just sitting at the table thinking about all this and I can't wrap my hands around it. So I could wrap my hand around a pencil and I picked that pencil up and started writing on a piece of paper. Dear President Johnson, how does it feel? And all my childhood curiosity came out. I wanted to know if he was happy or sad or scared. I ended up wishing him much luck going forward. And I folded the letter in three, dropped it in an envelope, which... I had just learned how to address. So I had my my address in the top left-hand corner, licked a stamp, that's how we used to do it, in the top right-hand corner, and then just addressed it, President Lyndon B. Johnson, the White House. So your parents didn't know, Cal, you did this, okay. And I did it all on my own, didn't tell anybody. And there was no ambition behind this, not like I wanted a seat in the cabinet one day. Yeah. I just want to know what it felt like to be Lyndon B. Johnson. And I'm sure there were a lot, a lot of other people who wanted to know what it felt like. I think what may have separated me was that I wrote the question down, put it in that envelope. And the next day when I went out to play, I took it with me, dropped it in a mailbox. Well, as I explained, things were a little crazy afterward with the killing of Lee Harvey Oswald and the funeral and all these questions about conspiracies and who did it. And after time, though, my parents were right and things started to return to normal. And it wasn't until about six months later, I had forgotten all about the letter, when my mom came racing up the steps of the apartment with an envelope in her right hand. It was a letter from the White House, from the president, addressed to me. And it was written by his personal secretary, Juanita D. Roberts. And the cool thing about it was it was written not in the language that you'd expect for a second grader. (laughs) It was written to an important adult. And I knew that because when I got to the second sentence, it started, in answer to your query, and I had no idea what a query was, but a lot of other people did. 
And all the grown-ups started filling up the apartment and wanting to touch the letter from the president. And not only that, but the principal at school wanted to see the letter. And basically, the smallest kid in a second-grade class suddenly became a big man. And it taught me that a single question could get you to the most powerful person on earth. And I knew in that moment how important questions were. And from that day on, questions have guided my life. So I always kept the curiosity of that kid at the kitchen table on the night that President Kennedy had been shot. And I have it to this day. It's incredible. The other thing that comes up for me on that for sure the curiosity is there and as you explained the the power of a question but i almost wonder especially at that age if the fact that you got a response and again you know parents and school and everyone around you acknowledging the the letter it's almost seems like it set you off to say you know what it's okay to ask questions again yeah and you know it's another cool thing about this letter mark there was a misspelling and okay. it spoke to the fact that the letter was authentic. I know that now, or at least I know because my teenage daughter wrote a letter to President Obama years ago and got back a letter and we were all so excited for her, but there were no misspellings. You could tell. Mm-hmm. A lot of kids got that letter. Yeah. <laughs> and and so it it sort of was a very personal connection. And I actually look back and think of Lyndon Johnson as kind of a guiding spirit uh, for me. Because whatever happened, as that letter was moving through the channels at the White House, it had to have been just passed on and on and on with a question in mind. What do we say to this kid? (laughs) And that's the only reason I can think that the letter got that high up the chain. And I also know that I was interviewing Robert Caro who has spent much of his life doing uh, biographies about Lyndon Johnson. I say biographies because there are, I think, four. And he was shocked when he heard me mention the name Juanita D. Roberts. You got a letter from Juanita D. Roberts? And so I kind of knew that it was special at that point too. It's unreal. It's, um, well, I'm happy you got the letter, frankly, because I think it's probably a big reason why a lot of us listening today are listening to the the Cal Fussman in front of us, right? It it clearly was a huge point in your life. And there, there were many other points like that from, from what I know that, that, that have come about, but that clearly was a big turning point. Um, maybe not a turning point, but just a, it really set you on a path, right? Um, 
on that curiosity and and forming questions and and letting the question kind of guide you through your your journey. It's inter- yeah, very know, interesting. The interesting or intriguing thing about it to me, Mark, it's yes, it does attach to where I am now. Uh, but for many years, it was attached to only writing. Uh, you never really heard my questions. In fact, when I wrote for Esquire, the What I've Learned column, all you saw was the answers. Mm-hmm. I, I would be interviewing people like Mikhail Gorbachev or Donald Trump or Muhammad Ali or Richard Branson, Jeff Bezos. And it was only their answers that appeared on the page, which was what made it such a unique question answer column. I think people read the answers and were wondering, I wonder what questions Cal can <laughs> answer. But of course. you're right. It all started back with Lyndon Johnson, but then it morphed in, in a lot of ways. Uh, and it was only a year ago when I started my podcast, Big Questions, and people could actually hear my voice. Well, it's, I'll never forget the first time I, I heard an interview with you and it was, uh, it was Tim Ferriss interviewing you the, the first time. And even I can imagine people listening right now are, th- this is unique. I mean, there, I, I still have not come across someone in my life that can tell a story like what you just did in the way you do it. And it's, I remember when you were being interviewed, I was, I was listening to the podcast at the gym and I had to, I had to stop the workout. Is it, there was two things happening. One is, I mean, I need to give full attention and, and almost out of respect for the way that you are delivering a story, all attention had to be on the, on that conversation. And it's, it's such a, it's such a magical gift you have in, in, in that sense. And I'm curious, Cal, it, who's the storyteller in your, in your family? Like where, where did that come from? I think the storyteller was O. Henry and Guy de Montpassant. Okay. All the great writers that I read over the years. I think that's where my sense of story came from. Uh, probably also from the movies. I don't know that it was anybody in particular. I don't, I can remember my dad telling some stories and inching to the front of the seat, but it, it was, it was kind of a rare occasion. And I don't really view my mom as a great storyteller, but my mom loved to talk and, and she turned me into a great listener. Okay. But I think it was actually the written word that taught me about stories. And then it's more recently been transferred through voice. And now I'm just getting it out. It was shocking to me to hear how much people liked hearing my stories because I was always accustomed, accustomed to them reading the stories. Sure. Uh, but 
now I'm coming to find out that people actually like the story coming through my voice. And it seems like the most authentic Cal is the voice of Cal, uh, as opposed to the written words of Cal. And that's kind of shocking to live more than half of your life to find that out. Yeah, no, I, and I want to talk to you about that because it's almost like you've gone from the invisible to the visible, right? But it's the same Cal. It's not like you're, you're this, this, this brand new, this person, it's all your incredible skills and listening, you know, ability and your interviewing style and all of that is, is is still happening and I'm imagining evolving a little bit with different mediums, but at, at the base of it probably still comes back to that, you know, seven year old boy with that, that heightened curiosity. But how's it been for you, Cal, over the last year? It's almost like you're, you know, I know you spent about 10 years traveling around on a train looking for, for that empty seat, but it's almost like you're back on a train. It's not the same train, but you're definitely on another train and you can feel you you can feel how you're just leaning in with every guest and 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 with the with the method or the delivery and learning and and trying to kind of carve off uh carve uh this new path essentially right yeah it, it when i think back on starting big questions it almost felt a little like being in college and getting my first assignment for the school newspaper at the University of Missouri, uh, because it was such a newness to it. And, you know, thank God for Tim Ferriss for putting me out there as a guest and then just insisting that I start the podcast. And I, I'm, as you now know, I, I'm not very good with technology uh, obviously I'm getting better because I got Google Chrome to do this. <laughs> <laughs> I did it, you know, with your help, but I clicked the keys and we got it done. Uh, but a year ago when we started this and I got a zoom recorder and I had to hook up the mics and do the audio testing, uh, it was scary to me. And I was constantly worried that, I would be messing up the sound or I would forget to hit the right button. And at the end of the interview or the conversation, I'd find out nothing was there. And so it, it felt like being a freshman in college in a way. Hmm. And now a year later, it feels very familiar. Uh, I'm able to set up my stuff in about 30 seconds. I'm able to teach people how to do it. And that gives me a great sense of hope because I, I know that everything is all about the technology now and that's gotta be my next big jump in the water. And it's gonna happen soon. I mean, I, I, I'm now on Twitter and, you know, I, I got 10,000 people to follow me. That was, uh, that was pretty remarkable. And now I'm just starting on Instagram. 
And I, I'm feeling much better about it. I'm eager to see where I'm going to be about a year from now. Well, it's, I mean, I, I know you've said before in, in other conversations that, you know, Twitter was your, your kryptonite, right? And, and, and why? Only because I was scared. <laughs> sure. Well, I, I was just going to make the point. I mean, we're literally having this conversation strictly because of, of Twitter, right? Um, so it's, 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 it's great. I mean, it's, it's ironic, but it's, um, again, uh, I think kind of a testament to at least what I'm feeling from, from your character of just leaning in and, and, and dropping, dropping the fears. Just, it, it comes right back to, uh, for me at least, like you spending that time on, on the trains and traveling around and basically, you know, just striking up conversations with, with random people to, to have a place to stay and, and eat. It's just kind of going in with, with no fear and no expectation and, and leaning in. And you're doing that now, essentially. You know, the crazy thing about it, Mark, and I was just thinking about it the other day, because as, as I mentioned, I am starting to experiment with the internet and I, I'm on LinkedIn now. Uh, but I didn't really check it every day. And so time passed and I go back to it and there's like 592 in, in invitations or whatever. And I realized you're, you're exactly right. Those were all like empty seats on the train for me to sit down into and get to know somebody. And if I look at it that way, I'm going to feel so much more comfortable and just sit down and start typing and I'm going to have new friends. It's absolutely, I, I really got to kind of smack myself upside the head and wonder like, why, why would, did I, just pride myself in being such an old school guy and not doing it. And, and it's not only me, uh, you know, I have breakfast every morning with Larry King and uh, he has a flip phone uh, he, and he has a flip phone for, for many reasons. He's never been on the internet. Uh, he sends out his tweets uh, through people who work for him. You know, they're his tweets because he says them out loud and then they type them in, uh, but sure. he doesn't send any emails himself. And he's like proud to be the owner of a flip phone. And then <laughs> I've got another friend in South Carolina, Gary Smith. He was one of the great sports writers in American history. In fact, a couple of years ago, he's put in the sports writers hall of fame. And he was boasting to me the other day about having a flip phone. Uh, so there, there are a lot of people, and I was one of them, who just saw it as a source of pride. Say, no, nah, I'm, not, I'm not going that way. I'm going to be my old self. And I'm just realizing how much was lost because of that. How many people I could have connected with that... I never did. And uh, it's like the saying goes, when's the best time to plant a tree 20 years ago? When's the second? Now, all I can do is connect going forward. 
So on that note then, Cal, I think it's a good segue because I wanted to ask you a little bit about listening. And you're, you're almost an expert listener of, of others and in your conversations. And what I'm hearing from what you just described is tuning into listening to yourself and listening to what's coming up and, and pushing yourself. Is there anything that you do on a frequent basis that helps you kind of connect with yourself and, and hear those, those thoughts and actually take action on them, right? Because there's triggers all, all throughout the days and, and years uh, during our life on, on this planet. But a lot of times they're masks from us being in this autopilot mode. Um, but it, from what it sounds to me, you're, you're starting to see these things, right? And, and actively making the decision to try new ventures and, and, and go down different paths. So what, so for you, um, Cal, what, you know, what's helped in that process? Well, it goes back to the same place, curiosity. And it's always the curiosity that pushes me over the hump. Uh, you know, I remember how hard it was to like send out a first tweet. I, like I didn't understand it. And then people started tweeting back and I became curious about them. <laughs> and then conversations start. And it's really that simple with me. It's my curiosity that always pushes me forward. It's much more than a logical practice or a, a practice of, say, keeping a journal. I have never really kept a very good journal, and that might have been a big mistake. And there's a reason why. When I was young, I say young, I was about 22 or 23, there was this writer named Harry Cruz. He had a column in Esquire, and he wrote uh, books. One was called The Feast of Snakes, and it was the first time I had come across an author like him. He's a Southern author. He was teaching at the University of Florida in Gainesville at the time. And I became very curious about him, how to meet him. And people would tell me stories to try to ward me off. <laughs> like, Cal, like, you don't understand. This guy is like, Drinking like you, you've never encountered drugs. Uh, you, you, you don't, you don't, want to go. You don't want to go. And don't go there. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Don't go there. And well, I I like to drink at the time, so I just got in my car and I drove straight from New York to Gainesville and pulled up right in front of his house. And I peered in through the window and I saw him laid out on a lazy boy chair. And so I went and knocked on the door and there was no answer. I went back to the window, looked and there he was, he was, Looked like he was sleeping on that lazy boy. So I went back and knocked again. 
uh, and again, and, and finally, uh, kind of woke him and he, he called out and I came in the door and he was startled, but I basically told him, I just drove 22 hours to meet you. you know? Love your work. And he said something like, boy, <laughs> go down to the Gator Gulch. And he pulled out some money, handed it to me, and he just <laughs> told me, gave me like an ordering list, Jack Daniels and beers. And, uh, and then I came back and we started to drink. And he had, he was all, he was waking up from a drunk when I came in. But the crazy thing about this was the more he started to drink, the more lucid he got and the more drunk I was getting. <laughs> and I, I wanted to be able to retain this experience, but, and I could tell it was swiftly eluding me. Uh, and I remember asking him, because I, I was very confused, like how could Harry Cruz write in, in, in such an amazing way while he was drinking like this. And after a while, he started popping pills. And, and I said to him, like, how can you live this way and remember what you're doing and, and the stories? And he looked at me and he said, boy, the good shit sticks. <laughs> and that was probably one of those faithful moments that maybe <laughs> I'd have been better off if it didn't happen because I never kept a journal after that. Uh, in a way, I just allowed my mind to be that filter and sponge. Uh, and the idea being, if it's good enough, it'll stick. And if it's not, it'll drift away. But, you know, the older you get, the more you realize it would have been so much wiser to be writing down all the salient points in a day. And, I, you know, I'm seeing this with Instagram. Man, we keep coming back to the same point. But uh, just taking, like, one photo every day is, is a daily diary that you can look back upon and it's going to spark memories. And so all this technology that I so avoided, I'm coming to realize maybe come into my rescue. That's fascinating. And it's... <laughs> I'm happy you brought up the journal piece because it's an important topic that I think many people, when you say journal, people think immediately it's, it's, it's just the, the, the typical diary. But what I'm learning, at least through this, this process of, of what we're, we're building with Keo and, and conversations with people like yourself is it, the method is, is irrelevant. It's, it's, it's the actual practice and you 
you know, even though you haven't had a physical journal, have been essentially journaling all your life. I mean, your stories are your journals. You walking down the street thinking of the the story that you're going to write is your reflection, right? And asking all these powerful questions throughout the day or throughout big events, that's the reflection. So, for some people, yeah, it's pen to paper and a, a notebook. My case, you know, I like to have a, you know, a different prompts to just get me thinking for a minute or two and I record that in our app, but it for others, it's to your point, it's just taking a photo that day on Instagram. But I think the, you know, the important piece is that again, you're, you're somehow coming out of the, the autopilot or off the, you know, the people mover in the airport and just thinking a bit and taking time for yourself to, to reflect and reflect on bigger questions and whatnot. So, you know, it's whatever works for you at the end of the day. Yeah, for a lot of people, it's stepping into a hot shower. Yeah. Simple as that and letting your mind go unobstructed uh, in all that steam. I know so many people have told me that they get a lot of creative ideas in the shower. There's just something that is unobstructed there. You know, you're, you're naked and it's hot and you just think things that you wouldn't think otherwise. And certainly not the same things if it's an ice cold shower. Mm -hmm. Uh, And I know that because I started doing some of those as a racer in Spartan obstacle events. Uh, The founder of Spartan, Joe DeSena, he loves cold showers. And it's a very different feeling when you step into an ice cold shower than when you allow that hot water to pour down over you. And I really recommend the hot shower. Now I realize a lot of people get mad at me because they want to preserve the water. And you get in the hot shower, you don't want to come out so quick. But it's just, for me, the ideal place to think. Hmm. So th- speaking of thinking and questions, I definitely, cause I want to respect your time. Um, I know you've, you've got to get going. Um, but one of the yeah, most I'm important things time to get hooked up to uh, Chrome and well, now you're ready for the next one. It's all, <laughs> it's all good. Um, but I definitely have to get your reflective questions, three questions. And, and the way this shows up for, for us in, in this world, uh, in the Keo community is, that this podcast will go out. It'll live in the app as well as the typical podcast channels. But when it's in the app, there's your three reflective questions that people can view that you'll leave with me. And then they can start their own um, reflection based on on those prompts. So it's important um, if you can think of really just three questions that either you find yourself asking on a frequent basis in, in your life or during some of these bigger life events that you'd like to leave with us? No, not long ago, Mark, I met a nun. I think they call her the Iron Nun because she runs triathlons. Okay. And she had, and she's in her 80s, and she, very spiritual, had three questions that really struck me struck me and, and okay. the, three, the three questions came one right after another 
fact, when she told us, it wasn't one question at a time. It was these three questions. And the first was, who am I? Where am I going? And why? And if you ask yourself those questions and just follow them as deep as they go, I think they'll lead you to your North Star. And the beauty is, as we've been talking about, time changes and you need to go to new places. But those questions always will act as a North Star no matter where you are. And so they'll constantly help you navigate. And I think if anyone out there is journaling, it's a great exercise because I brought that up at a conference and I I saw somebody spend a night writing the answers to those questions and then bringing them in to talk about those answers the next morning. So you're not going to go wrong with who am I? Where am I going? Why? So powerful. When you and you're in your right, they they evolve with your with your life, which is the magical part about about those those three prompts. Well, th- thank you so much um, for your time, Cal. I I only have one final question for you before we we hang this up, and it's just you know as we sit here today, this morning speaking, what what makes you smile each day? My wife's smile. Love it. Thank you, sir. And you have the best day yet. Okay. It was great talking with you. And uh, I hope you can hear that other phone ringing in the background. Uh, But uh, all this technology, man. (laughs) (laughs) We're making it work. We're making it work. So I I just want to say thanks. You had some great questions there. I'm getting much food for thought. And I will walk away thinking a matter of fact i may have to step in the shower well cheers to that 